The thorns on the rosebush right now are big, and there are many of them, and they're sharp. These are the poisonous thorns of negativity. But the rose is so much bigger. It's huge and beautiful. This is the rose of positivity. This is the rose of our future. And it is huge and it is beautiful. Right now, the thorns of negativity are making their last desperate stand. But soon, they're gonna wither and fall away. They're gonna rot and disappear. So don't despair. Diane, it's 8.10 p.m. And the weather outside is 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, humidity at a whopping 89%. Not great, but I've been inside all day. Hello and welcome to Twin Peaks Peaks. My name is Ashley Brandt. My name is Matthew Olson. Hello. We're back. It's been a little bit, but David's still vlogging. So we're here. David's still vlogging, we're still podcasting, uh, but now from different time zones once again. Yeah, back back to that arrangement. Um, yeah, uh, you are back in the wonderful Pacific Northwest, and I'm now just having deja vu because uh, uh, here's a little peek behind the curtain. We tried to record an episode last week, and it went poorly. Uh, so tacked on another seven days to our uh, hiatus, but you know, we're here. Uh, I've also moved, but still in, uh, the big apple to anarchist jurisdiction. To all right. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's happened since we last spoke. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, uh, going to talk about David's vlogs. I guess he's still doing them. Uh, and we said that we would continue podcasting though. We never guaranteed on a regular schedule, uh, so long as he's still updating YouTube. And uh, there's been a development, a new, a new daily series has been added since our last episode, Going Strong. It's the number of the day. Ashley, if you could, for the listeners who aren't, you know, subscribed, who haven't hit the like and subscribe button on David's YouTube, can you just uh, describe the number of the day videos? So, you know, David has been working on a variety of things. I think we talked about the checking wand or the checking stick, which I still would like to make for myself. Uh, And then David made a jar uh, finished on July 25th. And then as of uh, August 17th, we have been seeing uh, the jar on a daily basis as David pulls out a ping pong ball with a number one through 10 uh, to accompany the weather report. These are two separate uploads, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, an important point. It's not like he tells you the weather and then almost like it's like a news presentation, you know, while he's still at the same desk, he's just like, and here's a number from the jar. No, he goes to a different part of his workshop. He goes like the deck or something to go pull the number out of the jar. so, you know, you got to admire the the dedication there. Uh, what I think is really interesting is the number of views uh, between the two daily uploads are not always the same. And it is not always the same which gets more views than the other. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, we have to uh, note here, uh, you were you were quite close to it. Uh, there was a uh, a rash of wildfires up and down the west coast uh recently and that kind of factored into the uh the daily weather reports uh, to an extent so maybe some of those videos have more views maybe people tuned in to be like hey what's david lynch think about like the the more than usual smog you know that definitely is the case but also on the 25th the weather report only got sixteen thousand views and the number got twenty three thousand views so user behavior how do we understand it 
maybe a YouTube algorithm comes into play. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's <laughs> like, like, uh, the weather reports, you know, and, and he has sort of broken from script, you know, for world events and for fucking, you know, uh, horrible natural disasters a little bit, uh, and acknowledge that, but you know, he, he plays those straight. And I think there are still people probably in the comments who are just waiting for the weather reports to get, you know, weird and lynchy. And it's like, nah, this is, this is the thing. Same with the numbers. It's just he just picks a number out of the jar every day. Uh, it is a very pretty jar. He did paint the bottom half of it black so that, you know, you can't see into it. Um, you know, great craftsmanship there. But it's just picking a number out of the jar. On my birthday, which was the other week, September 19th, the number was nine. And what can I do with that information? Jack shit. Uh, <laughs> Let's uh, call up my mom. I feel like she would have a lot to say about the numerology and the symbolism of that. If she's listening, I'm sure I will hear about this. Um, I will say, I think that the Lynchian aspect of this is the um, absurdism inherent in the daily repetition of life as we live through this time period of bizarre natural disasters, civil unrest, and a global pandemic. I know I don't have to tell you this, listeners, but just think about it. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. I mean, we're now a couple months into the existence of, you know, David Lynch's YouTube channel, which is still a phrase that I find strange to, to say. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's funny because he's not he's far from the only celebrity who, you know, during lockdown, during quarantine has like gone more online. Uh, like, you know, you're, you're like. Brie Larson's and you know folks starting their own like YouTube vlogs or like people like IGTV dabbling. shows yeah dabbling in, in in twitch streaming and stuff and you know it says a lot for well one I'm again I'm just glad it's not you know your daily uh tm like pep talk slash like pitch you know um uh but I'm glad that David's just kind of sticking to his guns and doing you know his very routine uh sort of unchanging bit rather than you know i think he did one q a like this is this isn't like the here's your here's your access to to david lynch's life kind of thing really he's done a couple of the videos where he talks about what he's building they're always inscrutable save for the time he put a urinal under his sink and then he just does the weather and the the numbers that's it you know there's there's no there's no like opportunity to start developing like a significant parasocial relationship let's say <laughs> with david lynch like i don't know anything more about david lynch or feel any closer to him as a result of watching these videos you know and that's not the intent i don't think yeah yeah if you do good for you but also you probably already felt like you knew david lynch anyway which you know, you know that's that's very that's true. your own thing I would be, you know, curious to see, like, if he keeps doing this, you know, maybe someone should just record all those numbers, see if it's a truly random distribution. Uh, people should, I, I think I said this the last time we tried to record this, but I definitely want people to look at the averages and the temperatures from the old weather reports he did for davidlynch.com in the mid-2000s versus now <laughs> to see uh, uh, the effects of climate change on uh, L.A. via David Lynch. He's still going, so we're here, and we're still, you know, the, the world is what it is, so, you know, it's not as if we have much else to do. We have been watching and experiencing other things, not David Lynch things, though, Ashley, you did watch a David Lynch movie. I did. I watched Lost Highway, which I really enjoyed, but I have not watched it recently enough to really talk about it much more beyond that. Uh, very cyclical, very Lynchian, actually a little, like, Kaufman-esque, because we did talk about Kaufman the last time we tried oh, to record yes. this. Because uh, Kaufman movies are all very, like, cynically cyclical. Uh, I believe last time I mentioned I watched the latest one. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things and had a very bad evening afterwards. Just did not feel great. Just really bummed me the fuck out. Uh, which is the opposite of how I feel watching Lost Highway. Because that movie uh, whips. It's great. I love yeah. it. Um, I saw that with... Uh, Back in the before times, uh, with friend of the show, Brendan James, at a theater out here, they had it, you know, I don't know, we, we saw Blue Velvet once together, uh, right? We saw it here in Portland, we saw it at the Laurelhurst. 
Wait, or was Laura Hurst when we saw um, Ooh. Mulholland Drive? I think it was the same week. Did we see both of those the same week? Because they were Possibly. doing like a they were doing week. a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm just trying to recall like which ones have I seen in theaters? Because I've seen Mulholland Drive multiple times in theaters with you and with my friend Alex once. Uh, saw Lost Highway. Um, definitely Blue Velvet at some point. Uh, I don't know. I definitely mi- I missed out on seeing Firewalk with me in theaters, and I regret that. Yeah, I remember once, and I think I was I was in the neck of the woods when it was happening, but they were going to do a screening of Firewalk with me in North Bend, like I think at the mill, uh, oh, wow. at you know near the where the the sheriff station location is. Uh, which would have been extra spooky uh, outdoors. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it for my theatrical screenings, which is a real shame. You know, I really want to see all <laughs> in, in its full uh, DV cam glory. I want to see Inland Empire for three hours in a theater <laughs> with just like big blurry pixels. God, what an experience. Yeah. Um, a movie that we still have not seen, or I have not seen, remind me, You've also not seen, but you've read the book, Dune. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's just too much Dune media to keep up with, which is my segue into our next segment, talking about the new Dune trailer and casting. Yes. Uh, for those who need a little catch-up, though, I don't see how you could because they're marketing the shit out of this thing and people are already memeing it. Uh, the new Dune is on the way. Uh, I guess... Release date TBD because of world events, uh, but they're like it's it's they're they're pulling like the Nolan like it's gonna be in theaters, but they're not going the full Nolan, which is like put on your masks oh, and come see Tenant. <laughs> I will uh, say I have gotten two Instagram ads for Tenant in the last week, which I find just incredibly funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as a, as an aside. Who, why of all the fucking like i am trying to i've been trying to think of like what a funnier like blockbuster to try and like lure people into the theaters would be dune might be arguably it but like avatar 2 i don't know but like things <gasps> things things that you know in a normal time regardless of quality would make like a billion jillion dollars but you know because tenant is out now i think not only like you know because people aren't actually going and seeing it on mass but like I think it's allowing us to all be a little bit more honest about it, which is just like, it's just Nolan doing the same thing again, but worse. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's not interesting. <laughs> I, um, I actually talked to friend of the pod, um, Sita, my friend, your former roommate, our friend from college. Um, and she has seen Tenet in theaters because, Whoa. because she, she's like staying outside of New York right now. She's in Connecticut um, and you can rent out movie theaters for like 150 bucks. So you get a group of 12 people or whatever together. That's cheaper than a regular movie ticket. Uh, so she's with some family up there and they all went to see it. And I was like, please explain this to me. I would love for you to just give me the real take on this movie. And um, what I got from it was Inception plus Memento. But everyone is bad except for Elizabeth Debicki. <laughs> now what i can't wait for to get us back on track is to see what people how people summarize dune after having seen the new movie but not having read the books uh because i think one of the notorious things and one of the, the the problems with uh problems that people have with david's dune which again we have not seen it's the last david lynch film uh on my list and i've been saving it we were gonna we were gonna watch it together in person when that was a thing and when we lived on the same coast uh and now you know, you can't do it. Um, but I think one of the, the issues people have with the film is that uh, the book, a lot of the, a lot of that book just takes place inside people's heads. It's it's kind of like the Game of Thrones thing where you're kind of mm-hmm. hopping between different perspectives a lot between chapters, and you get a lot of internal monologues. Uh, and I'm not going to say Frank Herbert is like the greatest sci-fi writer, but I thought the prose was fine and for a book structured like that largely inside people's heads like i thought you know it was an engaging read for what was when i picked it up like this intimidating tome it's a story about fucking space economics and uh you know family dynasties and 
prophecy, but like artificial prophecy, like designed to like essentially like guarantee the coming of a quote unquote like chosen one, which is in this case, Paul Atreides uh, and like all the intrigue that goes on in that. And like, it's like, you know, if you took someone's like boring sci-fi story that's based on like, you know, European history or something, but then you're like, but what if, what if behind everything there was 10 times as many layers of intrigue and uh, conspiracy and so forth. And that's kind of like the picture that Dune paints. And it's going to be really fucking hard to squeeze all of that complexity into a movie with fucking (laughs) with Timothy Chalamet acting alongside uh, the likes of Oscar Isaac and uh, Aquaman. <laughs> like, <laughs> all that people know about it is like Big Worm, and maybe if you're lucky, Spice. It's going to be really hard to like Zendaya is great. Since we last recorded Zendaya, Emmy winner. Congratulations. Love this for her. Love this for her. But, you know, are they going to give Chani the depth that she has in the book? Uh, which is also like maybe a debatable point. Like, who knows? Who knows? So. Actually, beyond this trailer, and we can talk about like what we actually think about the trailer, but beyond this trailer, what is your actual familiarity with like Dune and its world and what goes on in it? Um, very little. I think that that little monologue you just went on is maybe the most I know about Dune or the most I have learned about Dune in one sitting. Uh, it sounds very Game of Thronesy. That's really what I got here. I was going to ask you... Would you say this is hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi? Well, so so it's not it's not Star Wars, let's say, um, because Star Wars plays very fast and loose with space travel, which is I think the thing that maybe makes it you know even you know ancient space magic religions aside, like the thing that makes it the most soft sci-fi is that like hyperspace is a thing where it's just like pretty much ships of any size can do it. It can get you there in time. You know, it very much serves the plot. You know. And I, I don't know what people who get really up in arms about the distinction between, you know, hard sci-fi and not would say. But to my recollection, Dune at least, like, tries to deal with, it tries to deal with those kind of logistics. Like, the spice, for instance. I don't know if, how much you know about the spice. I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> you need it in order to fly uh, ships, like, super light speeds or something. Like, all the navigators basically are hopped up on spice 24 seven so that they can basically peel back the veil of time, (gasps) peel back space time and like actually like fucking fly these ships. So I mean, yeah. And and star Wars lifts a ton from Dune, but there are like these considerations built into it where it's just like space travel and all this stuff is practically impossible unless you invent some things to make it. So, and I feel like even hard sci-fi, unless they're literally talking about like, you know, fucking colony ships on, you know, thousand year journeys that are multi-generational. Like, you know, I feel like there's a lot of hard sci-fi that still like comes up with cheats to just be like, okay, we'll, we'll treat it realistically in these, these, and these senses. Uh, and then not in these others. So I don't know. I think Dune maybe straddles the middle of that. Um, which again, is going to make it a real fucking hard sell for a blockbuster. This is going to be directed by, or is directed by Denis Villeneuve, this new version, uh, who I think, you know, Blade Runner 2049 was his essentially audition to make this movie. Absolutely. Um, and that was surprisingly not a disaster, despite having Harrison Ford in a t-shirt and Jared Leto. Uh, have you heard about what Leto did to audition for that role? No. <laughs> Okay. Well, you saw Blade Runner, right? Yeah. What do you What do you think of it? Like, how do you feel about the original versus the sequel? Um, I like Blade Runner a lot. I had read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep before I watched Blade Runner, so I think I I first watched it in high school, and I don't think it was until a few years later, um, when I had some distance, that I was able to just like appreciate it as its own thing. I've seen a couple of different versions of. Blade Runner not because I'm like a super fan but because I am very interested in different versions of films and changes that are made and stuff like that um I like Blade Runner 2049 a lot I think a lot of people like Blade Runner 2049 because of Roger Deakins cinematography so I think it is a very interesting and bold choice uh to not bring Roger Deakins along for this ride Yes, yes. Uh, I I am not super thrilled so far with the way the movie looks. 
Because it gets at some, like, I mean, the, the, the Vegas scenes in 2049. Uh, that, was, that was what it know. was looking like out here during the wildfires, I have to tell you. <laughs> uh, and I believe, I believe Deacon said, like, they went to, like, older, you know, wildfire stuff as, like, reference for that, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, like, one of the nice things about David's take on Dune is that a lot of it is colorful and there are bold costuming choices and strange, you know, like giving characters pugs when there were no pugs present in the books uh, and stuff like that. And Dune is kind of goofy. And I think that, you know, the goofy you want is goofiness and like boldness in your set design and in your cinematography. Not so much the goofiness of trying to sell me Timothy Chalamet as the chosen one, which... I think we both agree we're not quite convinced yet of him as Paul here. And I guess now we'll finally get to the casting as you know t- 10 minutes later like Timothy Chalamet this is in the lead role as Paul Atreides. Uh god, wow. That's going to be on Mike whatever whatever like motorcycle game that was. Anyway, Timothy Chalamet instead of uh in the 1984 David Lynch directed version Kyle MacLachlan. And yeah, I I think I prefer Kyle here, at least from what we've seen so far. Yeah, I think the discussion that we had the first time, and I'm kind of glad we cut it more short so I can have some real thoughts. Uh, I am not sold on Timothy Chalamet as a leading man in the sense of the thematic archetype and sort of uh, not star power, because I think undeniably Timothy Chalamet has some kind of star power and appeal. Uh, and I certainly liked him a lot in Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird. And I think he does a good job in roles that are leads. But I don't think that he is... I don't think of him as a leading man. And I think that Kyle MacLachlan has a leading man quality. Absolutely. Yeah. I liked him in Little Women. Do not see him as the Muad'Dib just yet. Uh, let's let's move right along down this list. Uh, and we're going to skip some things here uh if you're keeping track at home uh duke leto atreides which is paul's father in the 1984 movie that's jürgen Prochnow. i hope i'm pronouncing that right and the photo on this slideshow i'm looking at does have him holding one of the pugs Ugh. great choice uh and in the remake is being played by oscar isaac who one of my faves don't i don't see him as timothy chalamet's dad <laughs> You know, uh, again, coming into this with no knowledge whatsoever, fucking love Oscar Isaac. Fantastic and Ex Machina. That's definitely my favorite performance of his, but I haven't seen Inside Lewin Davis, which I know I should at this point. Um, And I am looking forward to seeing him have a little bit more to do than he did uh, end up having in Star Wars. Oh, my God. Don't. We didn't talk about that last time. We're not. Nope. Eventually, we will come back to it. (laughs) I... I do have to talk about it a little bit, though, because we're talking about Oscar Isaac. And of all, I think, the main cast members in that movie, he's the one who is doing the best of, like, putting in the work, but also, like, communicating that this is Garbo in that last movie. (laughs) Well, guys, the Emperor's back. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Love it. Love Oscar. Yeah. Um... God bless him. I believe he'll be great in this role. I don't even need to know what it is. Moving right along, we've got Lady Jessica Atreides, played in 84 by Francesca Anis, and played in the remake by Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca, one, I can buy more as uh, mother to Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Two, like, Lady Jessica in in the book is an interesting interesting character. There's, uh, you know, if I recall correctly, like, act two let's call it there's like a lot of scenes between her and paul so hopefully they've got good chemistry and so forth on screen uh unless they just for the sake of movie stuff truncate the fuck out of that um i'm really curious to see how they handle that character because i think one of the interesting things about dune is this whole idea of paul as a chosen one is because he has these abilities that are thought to basically only exist within women uh, in the sort of like matriarchal line of 
I, I, this is where Dune gets into something like the space magic and stuff, but also it's like willpower and mental training, essentially. Like it's almost like they build up this mystique around themselves. And that's part of the whole thing is like, not only their like high ability, uh, but their ability to uh, freak people out just by their mere presence and, and their reputation that precedes them. Listeners at home, you can't see it, but my face just got visibly 50% more interested in this entire conversation. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's, Women be scheming. In- <laughs> Can I- <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite genre of movie. <laughs> um, man, I'm not gonna cut. That. I'm leaving that in. It's yeah. it's a it's a good, it's a good uh, summary. Um, moving along again. Already mentioned, uh, Chani uh, played in the new version by Zendaya, uh, Emmy winning actress Zendaya, uh, and then played in '84 by here's a Blade Runner connection, Sean Young. Um, I guess this would have been made, that was made like two years after Blade Runner then? I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, but. I don't know. She's great. She just won a fucking award for how great she is. I don't even have to talk about, you know, Spider-Man, which we did last time around. It's just like, no, like, what do you need to know? Euphoria is good. People like her. Yeah, yeah. I hope they give her, give her something to work with. Her and Oscar, do her and Oscar Isaac have scenes together? Will they have scenes together? Ooh. Could they have scenes together? That's. That's a possibility, but I can't, I can't actually remember. That would have been in like middle slash like end of the book, I think. And I can't for the life of me remember. All right. I guess we will find out one day when there is a coronavirus um, vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Or when I watch Dune again or, or read Dune again, watch the original Dune. I don't know. Um, all right. Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, big bulbous... <laughs> gross uh baron uh played by uh character actor kenneth mcmillan in 84 and played in the remake by stellan skarsgård uh one of the most effective parts of the little trailer is him looking real gross and slimy (laughs) Uh, just for a brief moment there i'm into it uh i'd mentioned last time that i actually haven't seen skarsgård in any villainous roles uh and you informed me that he's actually great uh, in in several uh you say like film franchise or just like one-offs He's in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He is a villain in the Fincher movie. He's also in The Painted Bird. He's not a villain in The Painted Bird, but he has a very intimidating um, presence. The Painted Bird, very good uh, three-hour, brutal, black-and-white movie about the Holocaust that came out this year. Uh, And I know him best from Mamma Mia. Moving right along. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Glossu, uh, aka uh, Rabin, Rabin, uh, another part of the uh, Harkonnen clan, if I'm not mistaken, uh, played by Paul L. Smith in 1984, and played now by Dave Batista, aka under his WWE name, Batista, but spelled differently. Yeah, I think this is good. Here's your Blade Runner 2049 connection. He was great in that opening scene, uh, which to talk about that film a little bit more, like, you really had to you had to do so much in the opening of 2049 For real. to sell me on wanting to watch 3 hours of the Blade Runner sequel and the fact that they managed to do it with one like immediately establishing as they do for most of the rest of that movie um oh why am i suddenly i'm two beers in and suddenly i can't remember his fucking name Officer K <laughs> No no not the not the not the character's name the actual actor's name Ryan Gosling Ryan Gosling <laughs> I was having a real brain fart. It's been, it's been a long day. Again, we started this at eight in in, in the evening for me. Uh, yeah, so you, you had to sell me on Ryan Gosling. On Well, okay, Ryan Gosling is great. You know, no joke. I, I still think Drive is a great movie. I know it's like sort of like... Another Oscar Isaac connection. Oh, uh, yeah. But it's a movie that you, you know, like people can laugh about now because like some, you know, it, it's kind of got like the Fight Club thing going on. There's, there's ways to use Ryan Gosling and then there's ways to misuse Ryan Gosling. And in just his like one scene in the film, uh, Batista is used great in that movie. And I think, I think that he stands to have some more screen time in Dune. Uh, and I hope to see him get to show some more of that range because... For my money, off the top of my head, I think he's made the most of his wrestling to acting transition so far in terms of, like, what I've seen him in. And I'm saying that in large part based on that one Blade Runner scene. So here's hoping that Villeneuve manages to bring, you know, that kind of depth and um, 
And I, I, I have to imagine that's why he would bring him on for the next project. Right. But this, but this also, this character is like, kind of like, he's kind of like the like brute, like boots on the ground guy for the Harkonnen family. So there's a, there's a potential for him to just kind of be there to be a heavy. And I'm like, mm, interesting. Okay. We'll see. Uh, moving right along to Gurney Halleck, played in 1984 by Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, correction, uh, and played in the remake by Josh Brolin, who I do not care for and who has a sordid past uh, that... He's been getting a lot of um, image rehabilitation ever since No Country for Old Men. He is one of those actors who's lucky enough to be getting two Marvel paychecks and here he is back again. Back back again. When when Deadpool and Endgame came out, I was still writing for my job regularly mm-hmm. about the Marvel films and that just got under my skin so much. And then like the 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 jokiness about it too, like cross movies, uh, yeah. like the fucking fourth wall breaky stuff. Like I I can't I will say earlier when I was searching for his name, Ryan Reynolds came up and I was like, I know that's not right. It's Ryan. Uh. <laughs> so sorry. It'll be a Gosling. very different movie. I, I will say, I think. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't want to even think about the Ryan Reynolds Blade Runner movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I won't say what I think. <laughs> Duncan Idaho. I also think we'll probably do like one or two more of these and then cap it. But um, 1984 played by Richard Jordan in the remake played by Jason Momoa. My man, Aquaman. For Aquaman, I think great casting. You know, I haven't seen the film because uh, I just can't bring myself to watch any of those DC movies, frankly. He's just such a presence. And for, for Dune context, this is not a spoiler that will matter at all for the movie. This is things that happen in books that take place after the original Dune, which I'm pretty sure they will never get around to adapting for film. Uh, but Duncan Idaho is like essentially, you know, supposed to be this great, like cool warrior dude. And then in the later Dune books that go completely off the rails, you know, fast forward, you know, several thousand years into the future. And there's like a clone army of Duncan Idaho's out there. So I'm just like, when I, when I see Jason Momoa cast of this and I'm like, wow, he's like a big, you know, he's like a big presence and you just can't look at him and not think that's Jason Momoa in this trailer. Then I'm trying to think like, now fucking imagine, you know, if they did make Dune 5 or whatever and they had to do CG, like like Attack of the Clones, but oh it's all Cal Drogos. Oh my god. <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see if he can... I'm skeptical if I'll, you know, get to the point where I'm just like, that's Duncan Idaho, and I'm not just going like, that's Aquaman I'm watching this film. Yeah, I mean, I know Jason Momoa best um, from his role in the extended Kravitz family, so looking forward to seeing him on screen. <laughs> What's who's is he? He is married to Lisa Bonet, so he is Zoe okay. Kravitz's stepfather, and he is also bros with Lenny. Wow, really could have gone either way though. Could have <laughs> could have married Lisa or Zoe. <laughs> but that's that's why I love him. Love yeah. him as a in in his role as Lisa's adoring husband. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd be able to like form sentences if I was in a room with the four of them, right? <laughs> Yeah, and and yeah. Jason and uh, Lisa have two daughters. Ah, there you go. Um, oh, we can't skip this one. Dr. Wellington Yu, uh, played in 1984 by Dean Stockwell, uh, who also appeared in one of the best scenes in Blue Velvet, uh, but not, not well cast for the role, uh, played in the remake by Chen Chang, because the implication, uh, couldn't, don't know if you could tell from the name, is that this character is not white, <laughs> Um, like Dean Stockwell is, uh, and they give Dean some eyebrow, uh, work and a little mustache and a, uh, dot on the forehead to imply, uh, a different, <laughs> different lineage, let's say. And, uh, it's not Mr. Tajimura from Twin Peaks bad, but it's bad. And it's bad. Best, best to tiss, tiss that and move right along. Yeah. You know. I think this is. We'll cover this next one, and then I think that's a good stopping point because we have another uh, familiar Twin Peaks face, Everett McGill, in a role that you can talk about. <laughs> that I can talk about because you don't know shit about Dune. It's yep. Stilgar, uh, leader of the Freeman, I think. 
if I'm not mistaken in the books. Maybe there's maybe there's someone technically higher up the chain than him. Um, uh, played in the remake by Javier Bardem. Okay, so this is a character that's going to get a lot of screen time with Paul Atreides. So Everett and Kyle, as, as Twin Peaks viewers knows, great fucking chemistry. Awesome. Wonderful at playing off of one another. Um, I'm curious to see how Timothy Chalamet and Javier Bardem uh, bounce their energies off of one another on screen. It's going to be a trip. <laughs> Truly, because this is another No Country for Old Men connect- connection. Also fantastic and beautiful. The Koran um, movie. I say that and now I don't remember if Koran directed it or not. But he is, I mean, talk about a man of range. Talk about a great actor. Let's see if Timothy Chalamet can hold his own. Let's see. I'm going to get one last one in here. Are you on the same list as me? Just because there's another there's another Twin Peaks That was here, not right? Koran. That was NRE2, and I'm very sorry for that mistake. Noted, and, 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 we're, and we're good. Uh, this last one here, um, Peter DeVries, uh, played in 1984 by Brad Dorif, uh, who's been in many, many things. I recently rewatched the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest movie, which he's great in, and then played in the remake by... David Desmalchian, who uh, has a small role in Twin Peaks The Return, uh, season three, as the pit boss at the Mitchum Brothers Casino. So there's that for you. This counts. It's a Twin Peaks podcast. And we just talked about Big Ed and and then this pit boss character from season three. So there's some more casting out there. There's also like they haven't announced like who's going to play the role that Sting played in the David Lynch movie, which is maybe one of the things that people know best about. Uh, Lynch's Dune is staying in a metal uh, thong, essentially, um, fighting to the death. So, Listeners, you can't see my face, but it's pretty obvious that I did not know this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should look up Sting Dune. Uh, also, I just had a horrible thought, <laughs> which is, I don't know why this fucking entered my brain, but I was like, who's the, who's the like, like, redheaded musician that they could get? Ed Sheeran. In, in, <laughs> I just saw. I just pictured Ed Sheeran with his shitty tattoos in a in a no. sting blue metal thong, holding a knife. <laughs> no. Uh, I think I think his brief role in Game of Thrones maybe. Um, Did maybe, he have his awful tattoos in in that cameo? N- no, I'm pretty sure he was just in armor. Uh, but I think oh. I think. Oled might not have much of an acting career ahead of him, so I think we're probably safe from that. Good to know. All right, that was that was you know our little Dune segment. Maybe if they release more information about it, and we're still doing these, maybe we'll revisit it. Um, we're gonna watch the David Lynch version eventually. Eventually, we are, and eventually you're gonna watch Showgirls. True. Yes. Um, but I have not yet. I've not been watching Showgirls. This is the part of the show now where we talk about what we have been watching in quarantine. Uh, And since moving into my new apartment, uh, my partner and I have started watching, drumroll please, The Sopranos, a show I should have watched years ago. Um, Yeah, so turns out that show is extremely good, just like everybody says. I really have no more interesting thoughts on it beyond that. I will say, I did not know how referential it was gonna be to not like not like paying homage to mob films before it but literally referencing them to the point of like saying like scorsese is going into this club and i think like the first or second episode and you have christopher like yelling at him yeah Um, (laughs) did not know that that was gonna happen and it's extremely fun whenever it happens because like right, like that, and it's something that almost only could have happened at that time, like a few years post. You know, uh, we're we're after the Godfather trilogy. We're a couple of years after Goodfellas. Uh, at that point, you know, and it's just like these are fully in uh, the American consciousness at that point, but also like we're just on the cusp of like mob activity becoming so much fucking harder to get away with because of constant surveillance and so forth. Like, yeah, I I don't, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've seen cell phones in the show so far, because of course they're still doing like payphone business, but also like, they're just not using them. (laughs) Like the internet scenes are so great. (laughs) There's this early scene where uh, Tony's kids are talking about like dads in the mob and they go to this fucking geo city's ass page with like Jimmy Hoffa. 
Oh, that's great. Uh, good stuff. Anyway, you've seen the whole show, right? I have not seen the whole show. I oh. stopped somewhere midway through a couple of years ago. I was just like watching it and then I was like, hmm, existential themes getting a little heavy right now. Maybe take a little break, um, which is something that's happened to me watching other shows. Uh, the first time I tried to watch Avatar, The Last Airbender, I still have like 10 episodes left in that show because I just stopped. Uh, took a took a break during the mid season three finale. But I did restart The Sopranos recently, so I'm probably actually pretty close to where you are. Word. I just uh, watched the episode where Junior um, implies that it is uh, gay adjacent to give a woman oral sex. Also just watched that. Okay, we are like almost completely synced up. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, What else have I been watching? Um, I mean, basically, we got HBO Max. That's the thing that I guess exists since the last time we did this podcast. And so that means I can also uh, revisit shit from Adult Swim. Uh, I've been uh, watching again. This is like pretty new. Uh, I've been watching Joe Para Talks With You, which is fucking fantastic. A wonderful show. Uh, also, I think legitimately something I could recommend to anybody who vibes with all of Twin Peaks, you will enjoy Joe yes. Para Talks With You. <laughs> yes. Not to say it's necessarily peaksy, but you do get... Um, Sleepy northern small town vibes with a little bit of, of an absurdist whimsy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we have another Adult Swim thing on the brain, though, for less fun reasons. Yes. Uh, very, very sadly, we uh, received the news that the Venture Brothers, uh, beloved show of both of ours, uh, has been canceled midway through season eight production. Yes. Um, now for context, this is a sh- that's like, oh man, if you don't know, you're like, oh man, season eight, like that's, that's kind of shitty. Like if they were still going and they wanted to have more, you know, uh, this show's also been around for like close to 20 years. <laughs> like, they've taken a very long time between seasons. Um, so it's that much worse to, to, to have the possibility of no closure on the table. Also because it was like continually getting better. Yeah, it, we we had a very long conversation about this uh, the first time we recorded this podcast, and I feel like I could go on at length, but it's a really great show that I think defies a lot of the conventions that we see, not just on like a story level, but in terms of the way that TV shows um, tend to evolve or not evolve over time, and a lot of um, what that show does kind of flies in the face of the idea that characters in um, a comedic setting can't grow. Like, to give listeners an exi- example, if they, if they haven't watched it, like, The Venture Brothers kind of starts out, like, as a parody of Johnny Quest, to the point where they have Johnny Quest as a character uh, in the show, because they had, like, the Hanna-Barbera rights. But, like, so you have The Venture Brothers, Dean and Hank, who are, like, these two fucking idiot teens. But, like, I don't know, you... you how about just for them, you you describe, like, what they go through and how they change, you know, broadly over the seven seasons to really give listeners a sense of, like, no, it's not, you know, if, if you watch the first season, you're going to be like, I'm not really sure I get what Ashley's saying here about the death, but, like, it goes places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for context, I started watching it kind of on a whim because I had sort of just run out of lighter content to watch. I was, like, getting ready to move to New York, and I got... Uh, towards the end of season one and was like, wait a second, this is really good. Uh, because the first season is just sort of like playing playing with tropes and establishing characters. Um, and then from there, it gets into really fantastic character development that I think um, the writing is just it, amazing, the places that it goes uh, playing in this world that's just kind of like, ever expanding and you have um hank and dean and there's sort of these like stock characters of like the the himbo brother and the dorky brother um there's a lot of like if you like the existential plots in rick and morty there's quite a lot of that um in the early seasons throughout the show especially but in the early seasons as sort of the foundation of the show and um, they grow, they grapple with morality, they grapple with um, realizing that their father is not a good person, they grapple with kind of being emotionally abused, they grapple with 
Mortality. Uh, mortality. In, in some interesting ways. <laughs> um, they grapple with uh, kind of establishing their own identities, um, their relationships with women, not just in that kind of way where, like, you have a male character in a TV show who's just like, ah, women and the concept of women, but, like, being a good partner to and, like, relating to um, women on that level. Um it, there's a lot. There are other characters that are going through really similar journeys. There's, and the, the fantastic thing about that show is it will go back to these characters that seem like one note jokes. And then they, you know, two seasons later have this amazing, beautiful, like character development arc. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it, but like, you know, you wouldn't have, especially considering the adult swim connection, like you wouldn't ever have a show like Rick and Morty uh, or any of these other, I think, you know, adult animation shows that can, you know, have the trust from the execs who sign the checks um, to, to do the funny stuff and the, and the, the heady serious stuff. I think if the Venture Brothers wasn't out there like doing that stuff in the uh, mid to late 2000s and proving like it can be done. And this was a show that's also basically almost entirely made by two dudes, which is part of why it uh, takes so long to uh, produce seasons. Like, of course they have, um, you know, amazingly talented animators and storyboarders and animation studios producing the show but it's it's really you know doc and jackson writing the episodes directing them uh doing like 40 percent of the voices if not more and, and there's some stuff in the early seasons i think also that if you're watching it now you're like Ugh, this does not this does not hold up this is insensitive sure, sure. and and then some of that stuff they do actually then go back and like do better on later, later seasons as well um which is like fucking wild to see wild to see even you know since the growth in the the creative sensibilities and, and and sort of politics of the creators there um and it never stops being funny it's also just like like it's it's always funny that's it it's so hard to like get across how good this show is and like what it does it's so just like in its own lane and it's kind of just quietly been reappearing every two or three years um so to see it get canceled when season eight had already been greenlit they were in the middle of writing it um is really sad there are some whispers that it might be coming to hbo max and i mean they gotta at least let us get season eight and an ending because we were really ramping towards some full circle moments (laughs) yeah absolutely so Fingers crossed, you know, who knows? And um, also watch this space because we both love the show. And, um, you know, you can't you can't podcast about um, David Lynch pulling numbers out of jars forever. I think Um, we're making no promises, but Adventure Brothers, you know, show is something we've discussed. And we'll leave I guess we'll leave it at that. Like, you know, if, if you're a Twin Peaks Peaks listener and you've stuck with us this far, you're actually listening this far into an almost hour long episode on our nearly dead feed, uh, then us we could probably do a show about anything and be up your alley. But I, I think if you haven't seen The Venture Brothers, it's uh, legitimately great. Would recommend to any fan of Twin Peaks. I, th- I you know I wouldn't say they're on the same wavelength. The quality is there, um, and it's worth giving it a shot. And maybe we'll talk about it more in the future. Who knows? Maybe. Um, in the meantime, I definitely am about to start a Venture Brothers rewatch uh, with that news. The show is on Hulu. A lot of people I've seen on Twitter have been like, does it help to watch the show on Hulu? I'm going to actually tell you it doesn't. Because uh, <laughs> Hulu is a black box. Uh, the network that I work at, we have shows that we have licensing deals with Hulu. And all you get is like some someone at Hulu saying, yeah, it's doing great. That's it. That's all you get. So Hulu is not reporting. (laughs) Nope. Hulu is not reporting numbers back to uh, HBO Max. So actually, if you um, can watch any of the recent seasons on adultswim.com, that's actually probably the way to uh, support the show in a way that the Warner bosses can see and go, aha, it's worth investing in on HBO Max. We should give these, these two yakos some money again. Yes. Um, In the meantime, though, I have been working on a little project, rewatching my top 100 movies list. Um, Currently at, I've watched 19 out of 100. I've watched a couple more, but like this is this is since the beginning of August, basically. Not bad. No, 
Um, any any changes to the list? Any shuffles? There's been some shuffling, and I am keeping track of that, which is sort of fun. Um, I watched all the Charlie Kaufman movies that I'd seen over again. I have to say they really do hold up, um, despite kind of looking back and be like, oh, God, Charlie Kaufman doing that again. Yeah, it's it's that good, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I watched uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction again last night. Those are definitely going up, even though they were pretty high on the list to begin with. Um, I think what's so wonderful about Reservoir Dogs is I feel like everyone kind of knows that it's a very good Tarantino movie. But I think that um, the artificial kind of budget constraints of that movie really work in its favor and it's just this very like small contained um thing that just came out so perfectly um and i'm gonna go watch beyond the black rainbow tonight oh word nice uh yeah i've not been uh watching much else other than tony and the gang um and and as I mentioned, Joe. Uh, but if people want to see your top one hundred list, uh, this may be a good segue into closing this very long show out. Uh, where can they go find it, Ashley? It is on Letterbox, where you can find me at Ashley Brandt, uh, where I am just logging all the movies that I watched this year. Because what else are any of us doing? You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley Brandt word uh i am on twitter it's at matthew olson that's matthew with one t o l s o n still tweeting a lot about video games so if you like that you know hit that follow button i guess uh uh and uh, i would promote the show's feeds but if you've gotten this far you follow the show (laughs) (laughs) there is no discovery going on at this point none it's been it's been a while since i've checked the metrics but you know i get hey if hey if you're listening and you're very new to the show like if you just started watching twin peaks in quarantine and you've gotten to this point thank you welcome welcome aboard uh you're in for a fantastic ride give give the twin peaks peaks account a shout uh and say that you're there and that you're a real person and not like a bot that's scraping our content and hosting it on other podcasting services. Uh, with all that said, I think I think it's time to wrap things up, Ashley, if you would do the honors. Don't forget to brush your teeth, Harriet. <laughs>